Lonnie, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you're running for the controller of California. First, like, tell me, tell me why you would run for office. I think it's a really interesting uh, yeah. question. Somebody with your background and experience could probably do just about anything in this country. And you're taking on a campaign, uh, something that I think is critical, and I know you think is critical because you're running for it. But why are you, why this? Well, first of all, Clint, I appreciate the chance to be on with you. I mean, I think for me, I grew up in California. I've spent my life uh, largely out here. Certainly, we raise our, our family here now. We live in the San Francisco Bay Area, as um, I'm sure many of the of the folks in your network uh, have spent time or maybe even lived out here. And so for me, I think California is at a real inflection point. And I believe firmly that we need leadership in the state that can attend to some of the challenges that we have. And um, I suppose that for me, it was a question of how I could best contribute to dealing with some of the challenges we have in this state. Uh, I do think we have a lot of natural advantages. Uh, we are sending right now a lot of people to Utah. Right. We're sending a lot of people to your state um, and they're leaving California because uh, they can't make it work here. And the challenges as I see it, the, the things I want to address um, running for office and serving in this role in particular, which is the chief financial officer of the state of California, that is one of the best ways I know how to address some of these challenges. And so um, it's a state I care about. I think it's a time where we can really make a difference. And um, it's a set of issues on the fiscal side of the house where I think improvement is desperately needed. So for me, at least, the combination of all those factors really makes this a um, a good time to step into the arena in a way that I that I really have. And by the before. way, California is critical not only to the United States economy, but the world economy. It's one of the largest just on its own. It's one of the largest economies in the world. And I wonder how yeah. what you think or, and if these rumors are true. You kind of mentioned it right there. But we are hearing like, oh, man, mass exodus from California. California is losing like uh, workers, companies, high-profile example, that is Elon Musk going to Texas, right? Leaving California, going to yeah. Texas. But we're, we're hearing, like, and Miami's getting a lot of buzz lately. Uh, so a lot of Silicon Valley companies yeah. going to Miami. And as you mentioned, like, we're seeing California companies and entrepreneurs and talent come to Utah. Um, how do you reverse yeah. that trend in California? Well, I think we have to start by understanding what the nature of the challenge is. And I do think it's the case that you have a lot of um, high profile departures. You have businesses that have been very, very successful here in California who have left. Um, and so there's certainly people, let's say, toward the higher end of the income distribution who have made the decision to leave California because we have an uncompetitive tax system. We have an uncompetitive um, regulatory system. And I think that that part is happening. The The more difficult challenge, as I see it, is a lot of middle income families are leaving California as well because they can't afford to buy homes here. You know, gas is regularly over six dollars a gallon in many uh, larger markets in the state. Uh, commodity prices are higher for all of these reasons that the challenge is not just one of very wealthy people fleeing, which sometimes is the way it's portrayed in the media. The challenge is really not only do you have that departure at the high end, you also have the departure in, in as I said, the middle part of the income distribution. And so that challenge is very, very real. They're going to states 
where there is frankly a more competitive business environment. And we see it in Utah. Uh, obviously your state has a, a very business friendly environment. You have tax systems and tax codes that are designed to attract business and entrepreneurship and growth. We don't have that in California. And so there's a natural competition that emerges between states because capital and labor are relatively mobile in today's economy. It's not like it was, you know, let's say 40 or 50 years ago when you started at one company and you spent your whole career there. We don't have that, that anymore. And so that mobility creates challenges for a state like California where unfortunately we haven't had creative policymaking and policymakers haven't felt the need to keep up with what is really some of these, what are really some of the trends that we're seeing in terms of other states getting more competitive and getting smarter about what they do. So um, I think for California, uh, the big challenge is what do you do to reverse what I think is probably 20 years of bad public policy uh, on, on the economic side of the ledger? And some of that goes to how hard it is to build in California, how hard it is to invest. And then if you make it here and you create a successful company, for example, your workers can't afford to live here. So there, there is this challenge that I think we have to address. And it's not just about making California more competitive, but to your point, it's how does California lead again when it comes to being a place where people want to come and create? And, and I do think a rising tide lifts all boats in the sense that what we do in California has an impact on what happens there in Utah as well. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and I wonder, like I used to always think, and I still say like, if you don't work in tech in Silicon Valley, you can no longer live in Silicon Valley. You've been priced out. You can't afford it. And uh, I, I, I imagine that's true throughout California and in, in a lot of different sectors and a lot of different in industries, not just tech. But I wonder if you like, does does California, at least in my perception, it's a one party dominated state. Um, also, Utah is that just the just the other party. Yeah. Right? Uh, does that play any yeah. sort of role in all of this? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it does. And I, to be clear, you know, I don't think that one party governance, whether it's entirely of the Democratic Party in California or entirely of the Republican mm -hmm. Party in Utah or other states, I don't think extended periods of one party governance mm -hmm. are particularly good. Um, I think they lead to what I've called policy sclerosis, where you don't have creativity you have a little bit of groupthink. You have a lot of politicians who are more concerned about looking out for one another than for the people who elected them. Those kinds of dynamics, I think, are at play in states where we see a lot of one-party domination. And certainly in California, that's been a massive challenge because for so long, I mean, we haven't elected a Republican statewide in California in 15 years. Um, and we haven't seen a real political competition at the statewide level in some period of time. Um, you know, I think that the tides may be shifting here in California, perhaps they're shifting in Utah as well. There might be opportunity for a little bit more political competition. I'm a big believer in that because I think it makes ideas better. I think it makes competition, whether in the private sector or in government, I think is an important component of improving policymaking and clarity of thinking about the challenges and how to, how to solve them. So, um, it is the case that we have had a lot of the same ideas and the same recycled politicians here in California. And I think that that ultimately has contributed to the demise of some of the more creative policymaking we saw in California 
um, that really California was known for for many years for being innovative, at, at least initially, for example, you think about an issue like climate, where California has been a leader for many, many years. And I think initially that push was warranted and was good. But now that has taken, in some cases, a rather extreme uh, tent. And as a result, that's had an impact on people's lives and the ability of businesses to succeed here in California. So th there is, I think, a real reason why people in states that have sort of one-party governance need to be very careful about where that yeah. leads. Uh, well, I don't think we've elected a Democrat statewide in my lifetime, <laughs> for the record here yeah. in Utah. So it's probably yeah. even longer. Um, let me let me ask you this. Uh, I, I read somewhere that Beth Myers, who was uh, Romney's uh, kind of main person um, during his presidential campaign, um, it said that uh, Romney relied almost entirely on you for for policy direction. And I wonder, as, as you as you think about that. And you think about the situation we're in currently with uh, President Biden and these um, supply chain issues and um, yeah. rising gas prices, some of which has to do with the Ukraine-Russia war. Some of that was happening well before. Um, what advice would you give him on just what's happening right now? Well, I, um, you know, I, I do have a long history and um, and have been very proud of the opportunity I've had over the years to work with Mitt Romney, who is is well known to Silicon Slopes, well known to well known in, in, in the state of Utah and, and somebody who I've admired very greatly for a long time. Uh, and uh, it was a privilege to be able to work closely with him. And I think we, we do face a lot of challenges now that in particular Mitt Romney um, really identified very, very early on. Uh, he was one of the first people to talk about the challenges posed by Russia. He was one of the first people to identify the challenges created by an economy where you have too much dependence on one thing or another, and that leads to some of the challenges. You, you talked about the supply chain. He talked about the issues that are raised when you have um, you know, a, an overly loose monetary policy, when you have too much fiscal stimulus, right? These are the sorts of things that happen. So... I think it's very, very difficult for policymakers to unwind everything all at once. In other words, we are here today not because of one decision, but because of a series of decisions that I believe were the wrong ones. Um, you know, some of the COVID relief funding that we saw coming from the federal government, we, we had to have that because we were in the middle of a unprecedented public health and economic crisis. But then you take that and then you double down on that and you end up putting not three trillion, not four trillion, but five or six trillion dollars into the economy. How can you not expect there to be some inflationary pressure that results from that? So I think, you know, we can start to think about the Fed doing the right things. They're going to be raising interest rates this year. They've got a pathway to do that. You know, I think that's one thing that uh, obviously policymakers in Congress don't have control over, but certainly can continue to be supportive of the Fed trying to rein in inflation to the extent that they can. I think sound economic policy going forward is very, very important. We do have to be mindful of deficit and debt. I don't believe that you can completely forget that those exist and essentially decide you're going to print your, print your money and, and print your money, print your way out of this challenge. I don't see us being able to do that. On the foreign policy side, um, you know, I continue to be very, very concerned by the broader challenges posed by the Chinese Communist Party and by what's happening in China in terms of its desire to be more aggressive in imposing regional hegemony as well as broader 
um, you know, sort of its kind of authoritarian model more broadly around the world. Um, those are issues that are not going to get solved overnight either. So I think policymakers have to have a strategic mindset about how you deal with um, with a challenge like China. And then the the Russia Ukraine conflict, um, you know, that's been a long time in the making. And there too, it's very difficult for me to say, hey, here's one thing we could do immediately to solve that that challenge. Uh, but I certainly think that. Uh, Timidity, I'll just say this generally about foreign policy, timidity around the world is not generally something that leads to great outcomes in my view. I think the United States has to have a very strong view of its role in the world and what it's supposed to be doing and how it is that it's supposed to project its authority and its power around the world. And I think when you step away from that point of view, uh, you create challenges, whether it's in Europe or in Asia or anywhere else. So. Um, I wish, Clint, there were some things that we could do right now that would immediately turn things around. I just think that we have dug ourselves a pretty deep hole. The supply chain thing is a whole other conversation. I mean, that's decades in the making. Um, you know, we have problems here in California relating to ports here and not being able to get stuff out of ports and into people's homes and onto shelves as quickly as possible. That's a whole other set of challenges. So um, it, it, there's a lot of different things that we probably could and should be doing to avoid these challenges from reoccurring, not next year, but four or five years down the road. And I think policymakers need to be focused on long-term thinking, not just immediate political, what's gonna get me reelected. And I think that's Let's a big talk challenge. about supply chain issues, because like California seems to be like at the center of this um, challenge. Yeah. Uh, what, what would you recommend California do here? Well, part of it is, um, you know, it is infrastructure. Um, we have a port infrastructure in the United States, and this is not just a California problem. We have a port infrastructure that in many cases is decades behind where it should be. I mean, if you visit ports in Southeast Asia, uh, in uh, you know, some parts even of, of Africa, you will see a lot more has been uh, put into those ports to develop and grow them than we've seen here in the United States. So part of it is a long-term commitment to making the right infrastructure investments so that ports in Oakland and Long Beach and Los Angeles, which are three primary ports that are Pacific facing, can make sure that they're operative and ready for what's coming next. The particular challenges we're seeing around supply chains now, um, there's a combination of labor law issues here in California, environmental law issues. All of these things are preventing ports in some ways from from getting the throughput they need. And then some of it, Clint, is just a, a labor shortage. There aren't enough truckers to take the goods from ports to where they need to go. So um, again, I think the problem is getting a little bit better as we begin to reach resolution on some of these things, some of the temporary fixes that have been put in place, for example, relaxing certain requirements around how high you can stack containers for a while there were limits on how high you could stack containers at the port of Long Beach. So you'd have stuff waiting offshore, which would back up the stuff coming into the country. And that created a whole conga line of challenges. When you begin to relax some of those things and get some of that throughput out, then you can address some of those challenges. But in the longer term, we do have issues around critical infrastructure, critical supplies and the supply chain for those things. So if you think about semiconductors, and issues related to semiconductors there, there is a supply chain issue that's not temporary in nature. It's a longer term question of, can we bring more of that technology to the United States and countries that we are friendly with where we know we can have reasonably reliable supply? That is a longer term issue relating to the supply chain 
uh, that I think we've yet to solve. So some of this is is uh, California-specific challenges around some of the regulation and permitting in our port infrastructure here in California, but some of it's a broader uh, national right. issue. How, how's the campaign going? Well, you know, it's going well. We're we're um, uh, we've got a June primary. We've got a November general election. In California, we have this interesting system that not many other states have where we don't have partisan primaries. So everybody competes against each other, regardless of whether they're Republican or Democrat. And the top two who, who uh, get the two most uh, amount of votes in the June primary move on to November. We've been pretty focused on building infrastructure and raising money uh, and ensuring that we have the best competitive landscape we, we can have. And we've been successful at doing all those things. We've raised a record amount of money for this office. Uh, and this, this kind of campaign at this at this phase of, of the campaign, we have no uh, Republican opponent. I'm running as a Republican. We don't have a, a Republican opponent. Uh, we've got a very crowded Democratic field. So I think the dynamics shape up very well for me. But, you know, Clint, so much in politics is really outside right. of your control. It's about what the macro is. You know, how's the economy doing? How are people feeling? And the conventional wisdom, and I think we certainly see this in the data that, that we've been looking at for my campaign, um, the, the macro environment is very focused on change right now. People are frustrated with the status quo in California. They are open to voting for people with different political backgrounds. And I think that environment has not been as positive for a change-oriented outsider like me. Never run for elected office. This is the first time I've done it. I'm trying to bring a, a, a lot of experience in policymaking and business and other fields where I've worked into this job. But I think the environment for someone with my background is about as good as we've seen probably in 30 years in California. So um, I'm, I'm enthusiastic about the prospects, but it, it's a lot of work. It's hard work, um, but you know nothing good comes easy. And so I look forward to kind of where we yeah, go Yeah, well, from thanks here. for coming on. We got to talk again because I think uh, what you're doing right now is super interesting. The, the office you're running for is critical. As you said, it's the CFO of California, one of the largest economies in the world. Again, not just the United States, one of the largest economies in the world. Uh, best of luck on, on the campaign trail, and let's have you back. Thanks for having you me, bet. Clint. I thanks appreciate so much. it.